It is 9.39. Joining me now is our good friend, Ms. Barb Lampson. Good morning, Barb. Hey, good morning, Karen. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood today. And oh, my goodness. Barb, I understand you have a new addition to your family, thanks to me. Yes, I do. Well, let me start out by saying, you know, when we decided to put a pond back in our yard, I just thought of... Well, I can sit on the porch, and I can listen to the water, and this will be so tranquil. And then that was last fall by the time we had it up and running. And then this summer we filled it with water, and I thought, well, it looks so sterile. (laughs) And then you said, well, you know, maybe you should have some of these uh, variegated reeds that I've got in mind. So I went over with my bucket, and Jeff dug them out for me put them in my a pond, and that looked great. Then I thought, well, okay, I'm going to put yellow, uh, the yellow flag, which is an iris, but it's, it's a waterborne one, and put that in. And my neighbor said, well, you know, I've got horsetails. You know, they, they grow in the water, mm-hmm. so I got some of those. So all of a sudden, I had more than a body of water. I had an ecosystem going. And then you said, well, you need these toads. The tadpoles. Yes, I have so many tadpoles because I I should start out. I've got a a pond quite a bit bigger than yours, but it it leaks in the the waterfall part, so I haven't been agitating it. And really, when you have uh, things that are living in there, you should have the, you know, aeration, which you... So yes. Uh, yes, mine is basically exactly. stagnant, but so that's why all these little tadpoles have been in there. So then you came over with a bucket and... And so we scooped them up and brought them home and... Jeff was kind enough to help us do that. And then you said, <clears throat> well, okay, I have this koi. I killed my, okay, Barb, I had my koi. I haven't put them out because I don't have aeration. So I have them in a big 55-gallon tank, and another one died. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just not doing this right. So I'm going to get rid of the last one before I kill it. So then Barb came over with her bucket and? Oh, yeah. And I said, oh, absolutely. I mean, um, uh, um we used to have koi in our other pond, and um, but anyway, so Jeff fished it out for me, and we put it in a bucket, and I brought it home, and he said, now, just set the whole bucket in your pond until it, but not under the water, until the temperature uh, neutralizes between the two, which I did, and I used the elbow t- test, you know, to see, like, mm-hmm. when you're checking water for a baby, to make sure that it's the same temperature in both, and and it was, and then he said after it's that uh, neutralized, or then go and turn it on its side, and and he'll swim out. And so, as he didn't want to swim out, he stayed in his bucket on its side. And then a little tadpole came swimming by to investigate, yeah. and he decided he would chase that. And he went out, but he went back in his little uh, bucket again. It was well, not a little bucket, but it's a. Uh, a big plastic bucket, went back in there again, and I thought, well, I'm going to name you Bucket. You just <laughs> love this home so much. But he soon decided that he liked the big space, and he's all over the place, and he's doing really well. Oh, wonderful. But, but a pond can be so much more than just something to look at. You can interact. So every morning I go out, and he gets six of these little pellets that Jeff gave me to feed him, and then in the evening, David feeds him, and uh, and, he, and when something hits the water, he comes. He oh, yeah. Well, that. because they uh, when I had them, 
I had them kind of trained, and I did last year too. Whenever I would, I would actually call them, and they knew that meant feeding time, so they would come when I called them, or oh, you know, yeah. I would tap. Yeah, so so they know if it's feeding time. So yeah, they, yeah. you can kind of train them. And I, when I was in Taiwan, that's how I first discovered that they had you know beautiful ponds of koi because they are come from from Asia and. They, I remember one guy said, you just watch this. And he called them and all the, the koi came over and he had a baby bottle filled with, I don't know if it was sugar water or something, but he put the baby bottle down and those koi were sucking from the bottle. It was just an amazing thing. I thought, wow, one day I'm going to have koi and do that. Yeah, right. Well, it's, a, it's just a wonderful thing. And you don't need a huge pond to do this. No. It's really important to have um, the um, aerators in there and to have the plants that are... Um, putting in oxygen, too. And it's interesting, the um, water lettuce that I bought, uh, it has multiplied now, oh, and yes. I have eight plants, and um, and then the other uh, water plant, which is called a, I forget what that's called. Water hyacinth? Water hyacinth. And that's the I one I love. Those. Oh, Barb, and, you're, you're going to cover your pond. See, uh, they do say that you need... For uh, um, having fish, it's good yep. to have uh, coverage, a certain percentage of coverage. But you'll find that those water hyacinths and the water lettuce will <clears> multiply, <throat> and they'll cover everything. So you'll be having to take those and put those in your compost, which is what I did, because yep. they do really well. Because once you've got a fish in there, they produce the fish poo, which is nitrogen, which helps them explode. Right. So, so we have a more of a perfect environment now, and bucket likes to spend the late afternoon underneath yes. uh, the, the, the green, the foliage. Right. You can go underneath the shade there from the uh, fall cypress that hangs over, but he, he likes the comfort of being underneath this greenery. So I just go out and I start talking and moving around, <laughs> and then he shows up. So anyway, thank you very much. Thanks well, to the, the whole family. Well, the other thing they do is for protection, like mine. I had a, a big rock, and it was it was uh, one that they could swim under. So when like a big bird, because I had um, a big blue heron steal mine in the past, they can hide under there. So you need something they can hide under that. Yeah. And or, or you know, other, the other thing you can do is so you could have rocks, but also raccoons are another thing that can come and and take right. care. So you got to be have careful. A, um, have you ever seen those plastic boxes? that are all, they're all lattice and that. Yeah. We have one of those in there oh, for Oh, good. Him. For protection. So, That's awesome. Yeah, so, so we're thinking about him. You know, um, gardening and nature is so wonderful. And every once in a while, we read about someone who has land and they decide they want to save it in what was its r- original condition Natural state. for future uh-huh. generations. Yes. And I was reading in the story in the Free Press yesterday about this retired priest, his name is Kevin Clinton, and his family has owned land on the northeastern section, or the northwestern section of Lake Washington since 1856. Mm. And he took um, 30 acres and he put it into the Minnesota Reinvestment uh, Plan. Now, that uh, money for that comes out of our sales tax. And when we first started that in Blue Earth County, when this program was started statewide, I was on that board and learned just a lot about what you need to be able to uh, have your land in there. You have to provide habitat. You have to have a water, place for water, all these different things. And then 
they pay you to take your land out of production. And in this case, this priest has done this, and he's planted trees on part of it, and he's planted prairie plants. There's just a great article in there about this, and I hope that sometime we can um, take time to go out and visit his, find out if he'd let us take a look at his prairie. That's, that's amazing to be doing that on uh, property that borders the lake. Oh, it is. You know, and we have a house, uh, a cabin on on the lake, and I've done a small, you know, he's done 50, what you say, 50 acres? No, 30, uh, let's see, 30 acres. 30 acres. Okay, well, so I've just done my little small part. So I've done, we have like about 125 feet of shoreline, but I've about a 55 feet of that I've taken and planted in all native plants because they have very deep roots. And the goal is, you know, not to have just turf all the way to the to the edge, because what happens is you have all the runoff from the lawn, whether it's fertilizer or, you know, debris, that sort of thing. And so now I have these plants with these deep roots, and they will slow the water so it'll have a chance to sink in, and the pollutants and things before they get into the lake. And so that's amazing. I mean, I just do my small part, but just think if everybody did that. We recently yeah. had that horrible blue-green algae bloom, and that's because yes. of all the junk that, that flows in from yes. yards and, yeah. and farms, etc. Yeah, that that is so true. One of the things in this article, there's a picture of white wild indigo. Now, we know indigo as, uh, it's in the Baptisia family, and we grow it as more of a shrub-like plant. Well, this is on a spike, on a tall spike, and it's white. And I bet you the bees are just in there by the zillions because they seem to love white in my garden and also yellow. But I'm going to see, is it possible for us to buy some of these plants? I mean, if he got this, probably it was a mix, but, boy, I'd love to grow some white wild indigo in my yard. Well, you know, there are there are different organizations, and you can find out the DNR has a great list on their site of places that sell uh, um, nature or, um, native plants, so we'll have to check that out, Barb. Yeah, maybe we could even talk to him and see if we could collect seed. Yeah. Because he may be saving seed, too. Maybe if we helped him collect it, he would give us enough for our for our home site. So that would be great. Hey, we want to talk just a little bit about bugs. Oh, Barb, they are they're rampant now. And the Japanese oh. beetles, I've got them in mind. The first thing they start on is my crab apple tree, and they eat from the top down. So you'll start to see skeletonized leaves. And they haven't bothered my hibiscus yet because there's no flowers. But once the flowers come, it's, it's all go time for them. Yeah. Do you know what they are on? This year I have some uh, cannas that have the dark, blackish red leaves on them oh yeah they're on mine too uh-huh but they but they blend right in oh <laughs> you have to be you see the holes that they've made and then you know they're there but there they are they're eating on those big canna leaves and the leaves themselves are so tropical and so beautiful i just love them and there those dirty buggers are they're also of course in the raspberries now they don't seem to be on the raspberry fruit they're eating leaves. Is that what you found to be happening on yours? Too? I don't have any Japanese beetles out at the lake house, which is where all my raspberries are. I don't know why. I'm very happy that they aren't. But, you know, it wasn't until 2011 when they were even first in Man- uh, Minnesota, the state. Right. And so now they become a, an invasive pest that it's, it's a problem. And there's actually, the state actually has a plan. It, they've got a map that shows the Japanese beetle distribution map, which is most of the state. Some counties are considered worse than others. But they've got this, it's the uh, Japanese Japanese beetle uh, 
plan to try and see what they can do to control them because it's becoming such a problem. I mean, not only for, you know, gardeners, we don't like it because it's ugly, but if you're a crop producer, they can really damage things too. Oh, yeah, exactly. You know, and, and there are some some good bugs too. And it would be well worth everyone's uh, time to go online and see which of the bugs are really helpful. Well, we all know what the ladybug looks like, but when the larva looks quite different from the mature, mature adult, go online and look at that. And the hoverfly, that looks, um, it, it's small like a bee, and its uh, tail and its stomach are black, and they have the yellow stripe going across them. They are very, very good. They, um, they will uh, eat aphids, and they'll eat um, thrips and, and other small predators, so that would be a good thing to know what that looks like. And then there's the uh, tiger swallowtail caterpillar. So when it's a caterpillar and it's green, uh, it's, it's uh, very, very helpful, and it should be welcome really in any garden because it eats a lot of these things. Do you know the yeah. other thing that I that is really helpful that I love are the lightning bugs because the larvae live on the ground under bark uh, and they eat earthworms, snails, and slugs, and wow. then they scavenge certain dead animals and other organic materials. So they're really good. Um, you know, you, sometimes you see a bug, and if you see it in the daytime, you don't recognize it as a lightning bug. So you got to know which is the good guys and the bad guys. Yeah. Um, but the you know, Japanese beetles are one of the worst. And Kim yeah. uh, from down the hall brought me in a sweet potato vine from outside. We've got a, a big container outside the office oh, yeah. here. And it was just pocked with holes. And the first thing I thought, well, it must be Japanese beetles. They kind of skeletonize around the veins. Well, this was more random. And it's the the um, potato flea beetle that has been just picking it oh, apart. Sure. And it's picking apart my um, my on my mint, too. And so hand hand picking is a good thing, but sometimes um, that can even be too much for people. Yeah, yeah. You know, I felt really bad last week. Um, I was on my hands and knees, and I was in the garden, and I found this black beetle, and I thought, oh my gosh. Are you good know. or bad? You thought. Yeah, and right away I thought, I I never see you around here. I I think you're bad. And then I went and looked <laughs> him up, and I found out he was dead by then. That I had. Oh, killed a good one. Yeah, I killed this brown beetle, and and I I felt really bad about that, and I thought, you know, I'm not going to make this mistake again. So um, uh, take time. You know, uh, another beetle that I found in my garden, and I've never seen it here before, and that was the brown uh, 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 marimo- marmot. 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 Stink bug. Oh, they're bad, right? Really bad. Yeah, they are, and they have a they have almost like a coat of armor on and and there it was it was on the ground and i think the humidity some of the uh, you know i i think it's brought out more things more definitely yeah i think more things have hatched out so um you know i would just advise people to spend some time you know finding out good bugs bad bugs and then boy weeds the weeds oh Oh, and just that little rain we had uh just was it yesterday the day before all of a sudden they popped up like mad yes they did and we have um in our yard this um uh, yellow sorrel it's a it's a small plant it looks like it could be related to um like 
clover or something. It has a little tiny yellow flower Oh, it's on it. very pretty. It, it looks like almost, I always feel like when it, you drive along the road sometimes, you'll see it all over and it looks like little buttercups or something. They're just beautiful yellow flowers. Oh. I ha- have, have that too. It's, it's not that one. Oh, not it's, that one? It's smaller than that. It's, it's probably... Oh, I would oh, say it's yeah. four inches tall. Very delicate, yes. Very delicate, right? Well, that, it doesn't get tall, but it gets bushier. And that has a way of, of like, <clears throat> in the flocks, which the flocks in my garden are very tall right now. It has a way of getting in between the uh, stems and and surviving in there. It seems like it can take a lot of shade. Yes. And that's... Right now, it's making seeds. Well, and that's why it's so important to pull those up before they have a chance to bloom, because otherwise, once they start to seed, you're going to get them everywhere, and then you cover the ground with mulch to prevent those seeds from germinating. So yes, yes, that's exactly right. And in the um, the daylilies, I had quack. Now, can you imagine trying to get quack out of daylilies? I think this fall I'm going to have to dig them, separate them, and find out where the origin is. I went in as far as I could around the outside, but I could still see some quack coming up from the center. So as thick as daylilies are, uh, boy, I'll tell you, quack is an invasive type of thing, and when it gets in there, it seems to survive under any conditions and all conditions. So, Barb, I was driving to work this morning, and I saw one of those lawn care trucks, and I thought, what would you need to be treating and doing on the lawn right now during this heat? Yeah, what? <laughs> well, no, I'm serious. I, I was wondering that. I'm like thinking, what are they doing right now that, yeah, that it yeah. needs to be done? You I, should not be fertilizing your lawns no. right now. Um, and most lawns you don't need, you know, unless you want to have a golf course, which I know there are people that do, you don't really even need to water it um, unless it's a severe, severe drought, which it really isn't. And it does naturally go dormant, um, and it'll come back when it starts to get cool in the fall. So those are just some things to keep in mind. Yeah, exactly. You know, one of the things that I have that's very different this year, I've never had a problem with birds taking the petals off of plants, mm-hmm. but um, the coneflower, it's uh, planted on the south side in my front yard. I have a fence going around this little garden because the uh, rabbits will eat in there. The deer will also walk through it. And now the uh, sparrows sit on that little fence and they pull the leaves off <laughs> of the coneflower. Have you ever heard of that? They must be eating them. I can't imagine well, what else I, they're doing. I have, I'll have to ask Al Bat about that one. Yeah, ask him why they're doing that, if there's something missing in their diet, or if they just find those, uh, you know, um, I don't know, they're just bored or something. I, I don't Maybe know. Maybe they're pretty and they're decorating their home. Well, and, and they're eating um, uh, the maroon-colored one. I have an orange oh. one there. They haven't started on that, but they are on the on the maroon colored one, and and they uh, there's several that come at a time, um, and they're sharing the plants. And I have three or four plants of those, and they're just they're, they're just the cone is left. They're they're just pulling them out, and and then also I don't know if this attracted them. I put a water feature out there so that they would have water, and um, just I just thought maybe you know. Something might be thirsty. I didn't think that I'd 
create a problem like this. So ask ask Alice if you put out a bird bath and and it's really not a big bird bath. It's more just a, a drinking station for them. If if that along with the fence and blooming petals on plants, if that attracted them, I'd okay. be interested. Okay, good. I can good. ask him that. Sure. So. Anyway, we're running out of time, so we should probably, I, I'm sure people are wondering about the, the Japanese beetles, what they can do to get rid of them, and uh, the hand picking, and can you spray, Barb? You can? No, you, well, you know you have to be very careful, even if you use neem, because uh, I'm out early in the morning, and shortly after 7 o'clock, the bees are already moving about. Don't they so, say it's safer to do that in the, the evening when they're maybe not out? That's probably better. Well, it, they may be not out in the evening because I'm not as active then, but it's the morning when I'm out. Right. And I'll tell you what, um, our great big bees, the, um, what are our big fluffy bees called again? I forget. Bumblebees? Bumblebees, the bumblebees. I don't know if they ever sleep. They're up, when I'm up in the morning, they're out, and they they are so busy on everything. You know, they love hollyhocks. They go into the centers of hollyhocks, and they just, there must be a lot of pollen there for them. So um, if you're going to use a spray, be very, very careful and be very sure that you've got the right one. I don't know. Um, Hand-picking, you know, it's maybe a better bet because we don't have enough pollinators as it is. Well, and they say wild birds and things attract more wild birds because some of them do eat the beetles. So I guess, you know, make your make your yard uh, appealing to some of those that, that will maybe take yeah. care of them or at yeah, least help. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, I was always of the opinion that I didn't like the flowers on hostas. But now I've read the flowers on hostas provide pollen they're very good. We should leave them on. Don't cut them off. I, as soon as the stems had come up, I'd cut them off. I just like the foliage. But now I think, well, I've got all these hostas. I've got to leave those flowers on. This is this is a supermarket for the pollinators. <laughs> That's right. Well, Barb, we are out of time, but um, hey, I, 